All right, so last week, I thought that we finished chapter five, and then uh, I realized that we didn't. I'm in chapter four, right. I thought that we finished chapter four and that we were ready to start chapter five, but excellent. So we have a little bit of chapter four left, which is actually perfect because this part of chapter four segues straight into chapter five. Just to review what the rest of chapter four was speaking about very, very briefly, we were speaking about the levushim. Remember that term, that new term, levushim? Levushe hanefesh, the garments of the soul, as opposed to the koichais, or the capacities that we learned about in chapter 3. And now we, we learned about the outer expression of the soul, either through thought, or through speech, or through action. Okay. Now, at the end of chapter 4, we started to get into this idea um, that, remember what we said towards the end of last week? Don't be mistaken and think that these garments are secondary to the soul just because they're called garments. Don't let the, the metaphor of garment mislead you. Because normally, if you, if you think about a person and a person's clothing, obviously the person is incomparably greater than the clothing, Right? I mean, that, that's a, that's a no-brainer, that a human being's worth is greater than even, even the nicest outfit. So don't, be, don't let that metaphor confuse you and, and think that the levushe ha-nefesh are on a lower level than the nefesh itself. Actually, the opposite is true. The levushe ha-nefesh, the garments of the soul, are even higher than the nefesh, higher than the soul, and therefore have the power to lift the soul. Very good. And we said why they have this power, because after all, when we're talking about the levushe ha-nefesh of the nefesh u'alakis, we're talking about the godly garments of the godly soul, what are we talking about? Not just any old thought, speech, and action, but Torah thought, speech, and action, which are mitzvahs, and Hashem and His Torah are one. So essentially what we're saying is that these levushim are one with Hashem and lift us up to be one with Hashem. That, that's where we got up to. So far so good? Mm-hmm. Sounds familiar? Mm-hmm. Those who were here, at least, it sounds familiar? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So here's where I believe we got up to. Velochein amru, and therefore they say, who says? They say, no, the sages, our sages say. It is greater one moment of tshuva and good deeds in this world than all the life of the world to come. What does that mean? He explains. What is the condition of the world to come? And in this context, the world to come means Olam and the Shamas, Ganeden, the spiritual realm of paradise, of reward for the souls. Heaven. What is, what is the, the what's going on in heaven? 
It is a place where nenim mezivashchina, where the souls are enjoying the radiance of the godly presence. Shehutainig ha'asoga, which is an intellectual delight. In other words, the profound delight of knowing, of understanding, of aha, I get it. Yes, that's what that thing is. That's what it is. Eureka. So that aha, that pleasure of understanding, that is the condition of the soul in heaven. Now, watch what he says here. V'i afshelashum nivra, afilu mohel yenim lahasig, but really, no created being, not even lofty level spiritual created beings, are really able to understand Hashem. Ki'im Hashem. They can only get a glimmer, a glimpse, a ray. So it's kind of paradoxical. On one hand, we're saying that the pleasure of the souls in Gan Eden is that they are able to understand godliness. But at the very same time, we're saying, yeah, but how much of that godliness do you think they're really understanding? You're talking about Hashem who is infinite and a created being which is finite, even though we're talking about souls. We're talking about disembodied souls, which are very, very lofty. And, and, and nevertheless, there's a capacity. There is a cap. And they're not able to understand everything. Now, to the degree that they do understand, it causes them incredible pleasure. But they're certainly not able to understand all of Hashem. That would be impossible. Hashem is infinite. So it's kind of paradoxical. On one hand, we're saying that the souls in heaven are privy to this great enlightenment. At the same time, we're saying, yeah, but that's a limitation. Because after all, at the end of the day, how much enlightenment can they really experience? It, it's finite. It's quantifiable. Compared to how much is there to be experienced, it's unquantifiable. That's why actually it's called the ray of the Shechina. You know, think about like a, a ray of the sun. You don't look at the sun, you don't stare at the sun. You're sitting in your room and you watch the stream of light coming in through the window. That's about all you can take. However, Hashem, in His glory and His very own selfhood, Less machshava tfisa klal. No thought whatsoever can grasp him. So the souls in heaven are getting a lot of pleasure from what they can understand, but how much do they really understand? What percentage of infinity are they grasping? <laughs> There's no number for it because even a, a fraction of infinity is no longer infinite. So that's what's happening with the souls up in heaven. They're appreciating understanding Hashem, but ultimately no one can understand Hashem. 
no thought can grasp him whatsoever. Ki'im, except, what's the caveat? Asterisk. Here, disclaimer. Ki'im, except, what? Kashet fisa umislabeshes batayra mitzvah When he allows himself to be grasped by being invested within toira and the mitzvahs, azai then he tfisa mislabeshes v'akadosh baruch mamish. Then thought can grasp Hashem himself. Hashem allows himself, his very essence, to be invested in Torah and mitzvahs, and then through the means of Torah and mitzvahs, we are able to grasp the ungraspable. So if you want to go and understand Hashem, there's always going to be infinitely more beyond. And that's what the souls are doing in heaven, and it's very enjoyable, but it has its limitations. But if you encounter Hashem through Torah and mitzvahs, then what you end up getting is Hashem Himself. Like we say, it doesn't say it here in Tanya, but the idea of the first word of the Aseris Adibris, when Hashem gave the Torah and said, Anoichi, I am. Anoichi, we know from, uh, from our sages, the Gemara in Shabbos and uh, in Yankiv, that Anoichi is the Rosh Tevis, Ano, Nafshik, Savis, Yehovis, I wrote myself and gave myself through the means of Torah. In other words, Torah is not just a book authored by Hashem. Torah is Hashem in book form, that He condensed Himself. The word we use is Tzimtzum. He condensed Himself within the form of the Torah, and Torah is <clears throat> written in a finite form, right? You can't, it's a finite form, at least the Tereshi Bechsav is a finite form, you can't add new letters to it. And yet it is a finite container for infinity. Yeah, uh, that'll, it's kind of trippy. You're saying even the Torah itself, even though even as finite as it is, you can't grasp it, right? Right. Tanya itself is a case in point. Every every time you learn it, it gets smarter. Oh, I didn't say that before. Why didn't I see that, right? Oh, they added new stuff to the Tanya. No, we didn't see it. So that's a very valid point. But what he's saying here is that to the degree that you are able to understand, and obviously there are different degrees between different people, and then even within one person, the way you understood something this year is hopefully deeper than how you understood it last year. And what he's saying, though, is that the way Hashem put His essence in the Torah, it is in such a manner that whatever amount that you do get, you're getting His essence. And he, he describes it a little bit with a, with a metaphor coming up. Let, let's, let's, let's actually do it inside. Okay, uh, where are we up to? Uh, oh, I mentioned that, but let's say it inside. That Hashem and the Torah, or the Torah and Hashem are entirely one. Again, Torah is not just a godly book. Torah is, to say something, it sounds radical, but this, these are the words of the Zayar. When you say it in English, it sounds radical. Torah is God in book form. 
ואף שהתוירה נסלב שבדברים תחתינם גשמיים. Even though תוירה talks about or ostensibly deals with very low level issues. When you're learning halacha, let's say. Okay, a lot of halacha is talking about ritual law, religious law, but even that's physical stuff. How much matzah to eat, how big is a, is a sukkah, which malacha you can do or you can't do on Shabbos. These are physical things. And then certainly things like Chayish and Mishpat, where you're learning about damages, it's talking about oxen and cows and pits. So these are very, very low-level concepts, and you're going to tell me the essence of Hashem is in that discussion? Rabbi Steinzoltz, all of a shalom, he said, somebody who learns Gemara, and he thinks it's talking about an ox, he is an ox. <laughs> because <laughs> the ox is just, it's, it's just, uh, it, it's a placeholder. It's a, it's a word that we're using to interface something infinitely deeper. Now, it doesn't mean the ox isn't an ox. On one level, it is. There's pshat, there's remez, there's drush, there's soid. But if you think that's all there is, then you're the ox. So the Vilna Gon said that somebody who learns uh, soid will understand pshat. And somebody, or he said, that the one who learns soid will, learn, will also understand pshat, remez, and drush. And one who does not learn side, even even pshat, he will not understand. So it's it's all concurrent. It's all happening on all those different levels. And then even beyond side, there's the there's the infinite that's even beyond. But it's all there, and we're getting access to all of it when we learn any level of it, even the lowest level of it, which is in response to your question. And let, let's look what he says here with this incredible uh, metaphor. Um, yeah. So, this whole situation where Hashem is ostensibly talking about low-level things, physical things, bodily things. When you learn this, it is like what? He says, it's like hugging the king, metaphorically. <laughs> Very gishmak here. There's no difference in the level of closeness to the king. If the king is wearing one layer of garments, Bain shehu lovush or he's wearing many layers of garments, because after all, it's the king inside of the clothes. So you wouldn't say, oh, I hugged the king's jacket. And someone else says, well, I hugged the king's shirt, because he didn't have a jacket, he had the shirt. You say, I hugged the king. I hugged the king. So any level of it that you understand any level of it, even the most pedestrian, most, most mundane, accessible level, it's Torah, and it has the king inside of the clothes, and you're hogging the king, the king himself, the essence of Hashem. Now, here's one thing. Did you hug the king, or did the king hug you? 
Yes. Before he said, you're hugging the king. But now let's flip it. The king's also hugging you. When you're hugging the king, the king is hugging you. Like it says, With his right hand, he hugs me. This is Shlema Melech, King Solomon, in his wonderful poetry about the love, the romance between Hashem and the Jewish people. In uh, Song of Songs, in Shir HaShirim, he, he writes a romantic poem to describe the unique relationship between Hashem and the Jewish people. So one of the things he says there is he hugs me with his right arm. What does that mean when we say Hashem hugs me with his right arm? What is this anthropomorphism? Anthropomorphism. Yeah, anthropomorphism. What is this anthropomorphism over here? Uh, so he says, Shehi ha shenitna miyamin. This is the Torah which was given through Hashem's right hand, so to speak. Shehi bechinas chesed umayim. Why is it why is Torah described as being given by Hashem's right hand? Because Torah is kindness, Torah's chesed, a Torah of kindness, which could mean that Torah is, 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 is lenient and liberal and always seeking to uh, improve people's situations and it's compassionate and it's not a harsh law, it's a, it's a compassionate law. But also what it, what it means, Torah's chesed, the fact that Hashem made himself available through, through Torah is itself a chesed. And chesed, he says right here, is compared to mayim, is compared to water. And we said before, remember we were talking about it, that water, the property of water is that it always goes downward. You say, there's gravity, everything goes down. Yeah, but you could stack it. You know, you could take, bricks will fall if you hold them out a window. But you can make a pile of bricks. With water, water always, always just seeks the lowest level. You can't pile up water. So... Oh, yeah, we spoke about this last week. And this, yes, yes. The, the Eskimo, this, who, who was the smart aleck? Oh, it was me. I, I preempted it. I said you could freeze the, the ice and make uh, an Eskimo uh, igloo. Yeah, but don't be a smart aleck. Okay, that's right. I, I preempted it because I knew somebody would say that. Anyways, um, Toyota is compared to water because water is always flowing downward. Toyota is flowing downward. It goes from the highest level, which is Hashem's essence, and it makes itself relatable to us by investing itself in discussions which are relevant and, uh, and, uh, and understandable to, to our regular human brains, even though hidden in that is all this infinity, all this spirituality and beyond, beyond even the spiritual of it. It's not just that there's spiritual meanings, it's even beyond spiritual, it's infinite. So, all right, so that's, that, that's chapter four. Now, let's, let's continue here. Let's continue here. Chapter five takes one word or term or idea from chapter four and elaborates upon it. I'm going to read to you from the beginning of chapter 5. Let's explain better now this word tfisa when Eliyahu, when Elijah the prophet in Tkune Zayar, in the introduction to Tkune Zayar, in the famous Pasach Eliyahu, which we have in our Siddur on Friday afternoons before Shabbos, when he says, 
to Hashem, less machshava tfisa bach klal. No thought can grasp you, can grasp you at all. Mm-hmm. Let's talk more about this grasping. What's up with this grasping? Hine. Kol seichel kishemaskil masik besichle ezamuskil. Any mind, any intelligence that thinks about an idea, and by the way, this doesn't have to be necessarily a Torah idea. This is just the way that thinking works. When the mind thinks of something, so the mind, the seichel, the mind, is grasping the idea and surrounding it. And conversely, the idea is being grasped and surrounded and invested within within the, within the mind or within the intellect that is understanding it. So the, whenever you're understanding something, the intellect is grasping the idea and the idea is enveloping the intellect. Both of them at the same time. Like, you might say, like, think of a number 1 to 10. Do you have it in your head? Right? So we describe it as having it in your head. But also, we might describe it as, oh, I don't know, I can't think right now. I have my mind immersed in some very deep concepts right now. I'm, my mind is all into Tanya chapter 5. So, hold on. Is the idea in your head or is your head in the idea? Yes. It's both. It's both. The, the, he says that the, the muscle, the idea, is in the seichel, the intelligence, or the mind, and, and, and also the seichel is in the muscle. Your mind is enveloped in the idea. Yeah. Derech Marshall. An analogy for this. We're going to give an example of understanding a Torah idea. Like I said, it doesn't have to be a Torah idea, but now let's give an example of understanding a Torah idea. A person understands a law in the Mishnah or in the Gemara, he understands it very clearly. What law? It doesn't matter. Any, any law, any halacha. So his mind is grasping that idea that's represented in that law. And also at that same moment, his mind is being invested within that idea. So he's grasping it, and it's grasping him. Now, I want to tell you something. This halacha is synonymous with the will and the wisdom of God. Like we were saying before, that Hashem 
compressed his essence into the Torah. So now you're learning some halacha about, uh, could be anything, could be uh, how to observe a mitzvah, could it be about the monetary claim. And you're understanding how that halacha works. What's really happening? Well, Hashem's will and wisdom is compressed and present within that halacha. So now when we say that you're grasping that halacha, that idea, and that idea is grasping you, it means that you are grasping Hashem's will and wisdom, and Hashem's will and wisdom are grasping you. Now, before, just one second, I want to point out something. He mentioned this in the previous chapter, but I just want to bring it up again. What we're describing here, what we're describing here is something where he's saying that ultimately embodiment doesn't diminish this at all. So you, you, you think about spiritual experiences. You think about how to connect or be one with Hashem. And, you know, all, very often we think of some type of escape, some type of otherworldly state. And what we're talking about right now is something very, very um, normal. It's very normal, just a person understanding an idea with their human brain, with their human brain. Not seeing visions of godliness or the ray of the Shekhinah up in heaven. No, just a person down here with a soul and a body using their human brain to understand a concept in Judaism. What were we going to say? So is there a difference between grasping and subsuming? Because you said Hashem grabs, uh, hugs us with his right hand. Is there a way that you're so hugged that you become one? Okay, well, you, did you read ahead? I don't even have the book. You don't even have the book. Okay, so you can't be accused of reading ahead. Okay, so you're going to find out. You're about to find out. And even if I had to <laughs> Okay. So watch how he describes more th this phenomenon. So you know this, this halacha. And this halacha is synonymous with the will and the wisdom of Hashem. How do you say this halacha is synonymous with the will and the wisdom of Hashem? It arose in Hashem's will. He decided, this is what I like. Why do you like that? I don't know, this is what I like. Let's say Ruvain, that Ruvain and Shimon are always fighting. They're always in, in any hypothetical case when you teach Gemara, it's always Ruvain and Shimon. Those are the names we use. And if there's a third guy, it's Levi. If you need a fourth guy, it's Yehuda. So Ruvain and Shimon are in a court case. And Ruvain, Tainas, he claims, he argues such and such. And then Shimon, his, uh, his opponent, his adversary, gives a counterclaim. And Hashem's will is that the ruling should be such and such. Whatever it is. I mean, this is just a hypothetical example and a very vague one at that. The point is, let's say there's some type of litigation. One guy says this, another guy says that. And Hashem has an opinion what the ruling should be. That is Hashem's will. Hashem's will is expressed in that halacha. 
And here's something that every 12-year-old asks. But Rebbe, when is this ever going to happen? And we say, Even if it would be that this particular hypothetical situation that we're studying in the Gemara right now never happened and will never happen. It'll never come to court with these particular arguments. Okay, let's say that this never happened and it will never happen. Since it occurred to Hashem and it rose up to His will and wisdom, Sheim that if it'll ever happen, that this guy will claim this and this guy will counterclaim that. The ruling should be such and such. So once it's Hashem's opinion, don't worry about whether it happened or not. The point is, if it were to happen, Hashem already has an opinion about it. So therefore, when a person understands how that halacha is articulated in, the, in, in Jewish law or in the Mishnah or in the Gemara or the codifiers, what's happening right then and there? His mind is grasping. Hashem's Rotzen and Chochmah. Which ironically, paradoxically, no thought can grasp him or his will and wisdom. Directly, might I add. Except how, when they are invested, meaning his Chochmah and his Rotzen are invested, in the Halachas as they are set forth before us. So the ungraspable becomes graspable. You want to go philosophize on the nature of God? You'll never get there. He's infinite. But you want to go learn a halacha? Even a halacha about a case that never happened and will never happen, but just the fact that if it were to happen, Hashem would have an opinion about it? Now, when you're knowing Hashem's opinion, your mind, your finite little mind, is grasping the ungraspable. It's pretty wild stuff. The fact that we are able to see things from Hashem's perspective, that the infinite would look at a particular situation and say, uh, the mezuzah goes on that side, and that we could be in tune with that. That's called our mind grasping Hashem's will and wisdom. Now you couldn't get there by philosophizing and trying to understand the nature of Hashem's will and wisdom. But when you learn a halacha, which is the very expression of Hashem's will and wisdom, then you are grasping Hashem's will and wisdom. So you're grasping it. And furthermore, vegam sichlei malubish bahem. Your mind is invested in them, in the will and wisdom. So it's working both ways. And this, when your mind is grasping the idea, and the idea is grasping your mind. What is this? He says, Vahu 
Yichud nifla she'ein yichud kameu, v'leike erka nimtza klal begashmius. This is a wondrous unity of which there is no similar unity and nothing even comparable to it in the physical world. You cannot find anywhere a physical, a proper physical metaphor for this paradox where the unity is so thorough that the grasper and the grasped are indistinguishable, are indistinguishably grasped and grasping at the same time. Yeah. So then your action follows after this in accordance with this? So you're asking about your, the role of action. So he talks about that a little bit in uh, chapter 23 at length, about the role, what is the, the, what is the relationship that we have with Hashem when we are acting as, he calls it, as a chariot, as a vehicle to God's will. So, yeah, obviously if you understand it, your action should follow. But I'll tell you something interesting. This relationship, this yichud niflo, this wondrous unity that we have with Hashem through understanding Torah, is actually greater than the closeness with Hashem that we have through doing mitzvahs. Now, obviously, if you understand the Torah, you should do it. Don't be a hypocrite. Do it. But if you just look at each one on their own, which one affords a greater connection to Hashem? So knowing Torah actually is considered oneness with Hashem, whereas doing His will, meaning performing a mitzvah, is like being a vehicle to express Hashem. Well, everything is relative. So, like later on in chapter like uh, thirty-seven, he'll say the only way to bring Mashiach is through physical action. It depends what you're looking for. You're looking for what has a, a more refining effect on the on the world, physical action. But you want to talk about what brings your soul into greater unity with Hashem, understanding Torah. Yeah, what, what does it have to do with anything? <laughs> you mean that a person who's not keeping mitzvahs can still learn Torah and have that experience? Yeah, it only, it only compounds the tragedy of their not following that's through with it. No, that's not what the Yavanim want. The Yavanim didn't want that you should learn the Torah and not carry it out. They wanted that even when you're learning Torah, you should not believe that it's a yichud nifla. You shouldn't believe that it's affording you any oneness with God. You should just say it's intellectually stimulating. Okay. But, but, but what you described is it's more than an intellectually stimulating experience. It's a, it's a spiritual experience to have... Right. The Yavanim wanted that you should only experience it as an intellectual, but, as intellectual, uh, intellectual stimulation. But a person can have a spiritual experience from the study of Torah. You know what? The spiritual experience is also neither here nor there because we're talking about something that's an objective truth. So, regardless of your experience, there is a yichud nifla going on, whether you agree with it or not, which is pretty wild. Yeah. My question might be very silly, but no, I'm just this in my own head. But like Malachim, for example, I've always learned that they've been very envious of human beings because they can't perform. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. So are we considered on the same level as them? <sighs> okay, you're talking about how to compare malachim with with neshamas and yeah. Right. So what really distinguishes us from them is the ability to physically do the mitzvahs. That's true. That's true. Okay. Although, might I? It's a. It's not a silly question. It's a very very astute question. Okay, but let let me let me counter and say to you, but. If you're concerned with that, that aspect of refining the physicality, which the angels are not capable of doing, well, let me tell you something. Your physical brain, your synapses that are now wired to understand a halacha is also, even though it's not a physical action, it's also a type of refinement of the physical. Okay. In fact, there's this whole, there's whole sikha from the Rebbe about why... Avraham consulted with his friends, his Canaanite friends, Oner Eshkel and Mamre. So they're called Balei Bris Avram. And Rashi says he consulted them about the Bris. You're telling me Avram Avinu, who did the Akedah without questioning it, he was questioning whether he should get a Bris. He needed their permission. So I'll, I'll tell you the, the punchline. I'll give away the punchline. Spoiler alert. But basically, of course Avram was going to do the Bris. Um, what he wanted was that first, Anur Eshkel and Mamre, these, these non-Jews, should agree with him so that it would have an even greater impact on the physical world. Not only would he be signing the covenant in his flesh, but he would get human beings to see why it's a good concept. <laughs> you know, last week I, I, was, it was, I was in seminary. I teach in uh, Beis Rifka Seminary in Crown Heights. A couple days a week. So I was there on Hey Tavis. Hey Tavis is the famous day of the favorable verdict uh, regarding the, the library of a good Chabad. And uh, so it's a big yomtif. And uh, I was explaining to the girls that the Rebbe said that just like in, in the story of Yutas Kislev, the redemption of the Alter Rebbe, one of the great things was that the Alter Rebbe was able to convince his non-Jewish captors and interrogators, not only should they acquit him, but they, he sort of won them over, that they understood that what he was teaching was good. So the Rebbe mentioned at the end of the Shiva for the Rebetzin that he, the Alter Rebbe's great-great-great-great-great-great-great-granddaughter, I don't know if I did the right number of greats, meaning the Rebbe's wife, Rebbe Chaimushka, that in our generation, she was like, she did what the Alter Rebbe did in his generation, which was she gave the deposition that convinced Judge Sifton to see this case in a unique way. So, and that there was a, that, that that was a very important thing, that not just there was a favorable outcome, but that a non-Jew, who's not looking at this from the perspective of a neshama, a non-Jew is looking at it from a human perspective, would be able to be aligned with a truth, according to Torah. There's something very good about that happening in the world. So to answer your question, even the fact that a mortal brain, how much more so when a non-Jewish person understands a Torah concept, um, that, and, and this doesn't mean that, just in case anyone's jumping to the next thing, so let's go learn Gemara with non-Jews. No, that's not the point. The point, <laughs> point is in this case, where the Altareb was in prison, or like the, the case of the, the, the library being uh, disputed, so we were in a position where we were forced to explain a Torah concept to the world. And the fact that the world, meaning Umas Ha'ilam, the nations of the world, 
grasped and appreciated that idea. They didn't just say, oh, okay, it's, it, that's the Jewish law, let's just do it that way. No, they actually understood it. So that itself represents a certain refinement of the physical world. So yes, ideas, or I shouldn't, just, I shouldn't say ideas like disembodied ideas, abstract ideas, but the, pro, the neurological processing of abstract ideas is itself a refinement of the physical world. To answer your question. Okay, let, let's, let's continue here. Um, so what happens, there's a wondrous yichud, we're in the middle of describing the yichud. Where you become totally united from every corner and every side with Hashem. This is the unique advantage of the mitzvah of understanding Torah over all of the physical mitzvahs. Even mitzvahs that you do through speech, like Birkas HaMazayin, or like Davening, there are mitzvahs you do through speech. In other words, here we're talking about machshava, about thought. Compared, and it has a certain superiority compared to maisa, compared to physical action. What about dibur? So you're say, say, saying, yes, this is categorically superior even to mitzvahs that you do with dibur, which is loftier than, than, than action, but this is, this is even greater than, than, than speech as well. al mitzvahs talmud dibur. In fact, now he distinguishes between two Torah mitzvahs, two mitzvahs of Torah. There's the Talmud Torah and there's Yediyah Satayra. Talmud Torah is the mitzvah of, of, of studying Torah, which is done, I mean, the mitzvah is that you're saying the words. Obviously understanding them as well, but you're saying, you're saying the words. And then there's the mitzvah of knowing Torah, of Yediyah Satayra, of having Torah knowledge. So that has a special superior quality. And he explains. That when you do a mitzvah that it's done through speech or through action, Hashem is surrounding your soul and enveloping it with the light of God from your head to your toe. In contrast, to be Yediyah the mitzvah of knowing Hashem through Torah, in addition to the fact that your mind is invested in Hashem's wisdom, which is the same as any mitzvah where you're being enveloped in the godly light while you're doing the mitzvah, but in addition to that, Hashem's wisdom is in you. So any mitzvah gets the effect where you're being enveloped. But the only way that you can envelop Hashem back is through Yediyah Satayra. Every mitzvah is the king hugging you. But to have him hug you and you hug him at the same time, that's through Yediyah Satayra. Yeah, yeah, correct. Which means that your understanding as much as you're capable of understanding. And I'm going to emphasize, as much as you're capable of understanding. 
whatever you're able to understand. It, it works. Each person according to their level of intellect. And according to their level of understanding of the different levels of Torah interpretation. Since when you're when when you're learning Torah and you know Torah, what's happening? Torah is invested in your soul, and your mind is surrounding Torah. That's why metaphorically it's called food. It's called food. It's called food. Why is it called food? We know from the previous chapter, from chapter four, that mitzvahs in general are called. which means clothing. Now we're saying, just like there's clothing of the soul, there's food of the soul. What is the clothing of the soul? The mitzvahs. What's the food of the soul? Torah knowledge. Why is it called, why is Torah knowledge called food? Just like physical bread, nourishes the body when it goes into it. And that food gets metabolized and turns into more of your body. You take the nutrients and you turn it into more of your own flesh and blood. And then from that you live. So too, when you learn a piece of Torah well, when you chew your food and absorb it and metabolize it, and you allow it to be grasped and you allow it to become one with you, then it becomes sustenance, it becomes food, for the soul, it's life within you, from the life of all lives, from Hashem, the infinite, Hashem, the infinite, after all, is within His Chochmah, which is in turn in His Torah, which you are understanding and grasping. That's what Davon HaMelech meant when he says, in, in Kapitel Kufiotes, he says to Hashem, your Torah is in my stomach. Me'ai means my innards, my tummy. Why did, why did David say, your Torah is in my tummy? Say it's in my brain. Because he was describing this quality. That when you understand Torah, it's like eating a piece of food, and, that, and it becomes, but it, the point, it becomes you. It becomes you. So the idea is, when you do something, you've done it. You've done it, now you moved on. When you know something, you still know it. And it's a part of you. And it's, it's a part of you wherever you go. And even if tragically you, you behave in opposition to what you know, you cannot unknow what you know. So Torah knowledge has that wondrous aspect of unity that the physical performance of mitzvahs doesn't have. Uh, I don't know. Should we try to finish it? I mean, it's not, a, it's not really a new idea. Can we, can we take four minutes and just finish it off? Let's just finish it off, okay? 
Okay, so Davar Melech says, "V'seiroscha v'seichmei k'meshikos beitzchayim shar mem dalat peregimol shalavusha neshamas began eden heina mitzvus." In Kabbalah, in Eitzchayim, it says, "When the souls go to heaven, so their clothing are the mitzvus that they do, that they did in this world." V'ateira hiamazin l'shamas shalaskav elam hazeh b'teira l'shma k'meshikos v'zayir v'yakol dafresh yod. When the souls go to heaven, their food that they're eating up there is the Torah that they learned while they were down here. And he, he mentions also here a side point. We said that they learned Tater Lishma for its own sake. What does Vilishma mean? Vilishma, Hainu, Kedei Lakasher Nafshe Lashema, Yideh Sagas That's a whole long discussion. What does it mean? But he, he, the Alter Rebbe says learning Tater Lishma means to learn it for the sake of uniting with Hashem Himself. Each one according to their intellectual ability, like it's explained in the Priyat Chaim, the Kisvarizo. In brackets, another way of describing this relationship of, of nourishment where you're taking it into you is it's called internal light, because you internalize it. And another way of describing these clothing. Is they're called uh, encompassing energy, energy that surrounds you. That's why our sages say that learning Torah is is equal to, is tantamount to all the other mitzvahs. Why? Because all the other mitzvahs are only clothing. But learning Torah, he mazin vegamlevushla nefeshemaskelis. It's both. It's food and clothing. It's both. It serves both functions. Shemeslabish ba biyuna velimuda. That when you are uh, learning the Torah thoughtfully, so you are actually in, taking something into you, as opposed to a mitzvah where. It's encompassing you, but you're not encompassing it. Especially, he says, when you orally articulate the Torah that you're learning, then what happens? That the, the breath, the Kabbalah expla- explains that when you're learning Torah and you're orally articulating it, the breath becomes a surrounding light for the, for the Torah information that you're learning. So that, yeah, so they get, that's the surrounding. But the knowledge of the Torah, that's where you are surrounding it. And you have both going on, uh, which is unique, which is absolutely unique. So, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. There's a lot more to be said about that, but I won't, uh, I won't hold you. Okay, all right. Thank you. All right.